Hey there, friends. Welcome to The Link. So thrilled that you've carved out this time to join us for critical conversations from a Christian worldview perspective. Want to give a special welcome to all of our friends who may not be members of Woodside, but enjoy uh, the discussions that take place here on The Link. Today, we're going to have a very important conversation about one of the most important segments of the body of Christ, women. You know, so often there's controversy when it comes to discussions about women what role they play. But what we should all be able to agree on is that women are absolutely vital to the success of our families, our homes, uh, our churches, and the world. They're part of God's redemptive plan. And so it's important for us to be able to speak about this topic, to give a hopeful vision grounded in scripture of God's plan and purpose for using women. But it's also important for us to talk about the tension points around this conversation. Maybe you're a gifted woman and you have felt that tension point, that I want to honor God's word, but I want to also live out his purpose for my life. How do I do that, in particular within the context of the local church? Today, I've invited some friends along to help to guide us in this conversation. I'm so grateful that you're a part of it as well. First, Gina Holm. Gina has been working with Navigators, is a passionate discipler, and one of the uh, leaders of women's ministry here at Woodside Bible Church. Gina, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. And then Rave Wilson. Rave is actually in front of the camera. Normally, she's helping to produce the link. Uh, today, she gets a chance to be a guest. Rave is also Dr. Rave Wilson, and who uh, spent her time in her PhD program writing about the role of women in the church in leadership, and has done extensive research on this topic. Rave, grateful to have you. And then uh, Dr. John Morales, pastor of our Royal Oak campus. John, it's always great to have you on the link. Great to be here. I want to start with you, John. I think we should always start with uh, a biblical framing of the conversation. Yes. Um, I think it is important for us to understand what God's word has to say about this subject. So when you think about what God's word says about the role of women in the redemptive plan of, uh, of God, what is your thought? Yeah, thank you, Chris. It's so great to be here today. Um, I have, I grew up in a household with four strong women, my mom and my three sisters, and I live now with three very strong women, my wife <laughs> and my three daughters. And so it's important to me that they, uh, as well as all the women in the church, all the women that I know, uh, receive their value from God and his word rather than how culture seeks to define them. And so when we look at scripture, um, yes, we always need to begin with what scripture says. I'll just limit what I, my comments. There's so much we could say. I'll limit them to what the gospel of Luke says, specifically what Jesus does in this gospel for us. Uh, if you think about what the gospel of Luke is, which is this story of God coming in the flesh, the son of God coming in the flesh to redeem his creation, it's an, an incredible epic. And chapter one, it's really two women, Mary and Elizabeth. And it just goes from there. And in this gospel, uh, Luke brings up uh, so many instances of Jesus highlighting the value of women. And oftentimes when they're contrasted to a man, the woman bests the man. And so Jesus, uh, in his preaching, he uses women as a, uh, as, as a great example. So he talks about the, the widow who's persistent against this judge who doesn't care. And so um, he talks about the woman who lost the coin. And, you know, there just shows us how he cares uh, about the plight of women. 
uh, in his healing, in his healing ministry. There are so many examples of Jesus taking the time to heal women. So we have, he heals Simon Peter's mother-in-law. I'm sure that helped Peter in his house, right? (laughs) And, uh, but then he, it's a great example. Oh, we know the story when he's on the road to heal Jairus' daughter. So this is a little girl and he cares that he's going to go to heal this little daughter. That's important. You know, later on, I'll tell you why. But I think then, um, and as he's going there, this woman who's bleeding and has been bleeding for a long time, you know, he stops to make sure that she is healed and that she's affirmed uh, for, uh, rather than walking away afraid. Uh, in his healing ministry, he does this. He also holds up women as moral examples. And so we have an episode in Luke 7 where there is a, a rich Pharisee, a teacher of the law, and this she's called a sinful woman. And yet she's the one that he... Uh, highlights. So he has class, he has status, he has money, she has none of those things, and yet he says, she loved more. And and then also um, as his followers, this is so important that Jesus, along with the 12, he had a number of women who not only followed wherever he went, but also supported his ministry from their means. That's a very important data point for us. And uh, and then in chapter 10, um, we have the episode of Mary and Martha. And where Martha is taking the traditional woman role of getting the party, the dinner together, and Mary takes the traditional man role, which was to sit under the teaching of a rabbi. And uh, Martha has an issue with this, and yet Jesus affirms Mary. She has chosen the better thing. And of course, we know that at the end, it is women, his followers, who go uh, to the tomb and find it empty. And they're the ones charged to go and proclaim that he has risen to the disciples. So all of that... Uh, transforms for us how we should see women, just this high value that they are given by the Lord and therefore by the Christian church as they took off. Yeah, you know, as I hear you describe just through Luke, it's beautiful. And I think it's important for us to know interpretively that when we look at Scripture, there are two broad categories, uh, descriptive, describing what Jesus did and prescriptive, prescribing what must be done. And I think about Paul's letter to Titus in Titus chapter two. And one of the things that he commands to be done is that the older women are to teach the younger women. And Gina, I know you've dedicated your life to discipling women. Uh, Why is that a passion of yours and what are you hoping to accomplish as you disciple women? Yeah, well, that's a wonderful question. Uh, And the the quick of that is that my, my passion is really to help women uh, rediscover the beauty of biblical womanhood and what that looks like. And so in a nutshell, biblical womanhood, it, uh, it comes down to knowing who you are, which then tells you who you are. So you are God. So we go back to Genesis, you know, from the beginning that we are created in the image of Almighty God. Yes. In his image, he created men and women. So that is our identity. Then you flip a few pages and in Psalms we read that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, you know, again, in that image of God. Um, and then from there, you know, you move to, to the different giftings and roles, and that's where, you know, people start getting, you know, kind of like, well, what can I do, what can't I do? And my encouragement to women as we go through a discipleship process is always let's go back to the scripture. Let's go back to what the word of God yeah, says. Uh, instead of uh, feeling confined as to what you can't do, what about we look at what women did in scripture? And obviously we all know all the wonderful women through the Old Testament to the New Testament from beginning to end, but one thing that threads through all of them is that they, they were women who first had time with God. That's great. They spent time in the Word, well, 
in the Old Testament. We didn't have the, yeah. the book that Thank we have today. Yeah. But, uh, but you know, they, they were in communion with God. Yes. And they heard God's voice, and then they were obedient to what God asked of them. Uh, even when, you know, it, it was at the cost of possibly losing their lives. Yeah. So, uh, so I think that what I see in Scripture that I, that I long to pass on to uh, to women, particularly, you know, the, the, our younger generation that is rising up to take their place in, in ministry and in leadership, is that I don't really see any of those women fighting for position. I see them being gods, being in conversation with God, in communion with God, and then being obedient to yeah. that. And I appreciate that framing, because I do think that we can always uh, run the risk of getting caught up in distractionary things, yeah. things that ultimately rob us of the joy of living fully in purpose. And I know, Reve, this is what you have dedicated your life to. I know your passion is to see women being able to live fully in their gifting and their purpose and calling. You've probably done more research in this area than any of us at this table. Uh, you've talked to gifted leadership women around the country. What have you learned in those conversations? What are uh, some of the pains and joys of being a woman in leadership? Uh, yeah, I think it all can be summed up with kind of the analogy of that women just want a seat at the table. Um, it's, it's like Gina said, they're not seeking a title um, necessarily. They just want a voice and they want to use the gifts and abilities that God has given them and the call that God has placed on their life to live out their ministry. And that is the, the biggest heart behind everything they do is that God has called them to do this and they want to faithfully serve. And so they want that seat at the table. And sometimes walking up to that seat at the table, there is immense pain that comes with it, but their joy outweighs that because that's what they're called to do. You know, I love that answer because I think that this is true universally, right? Men, women, older, young, black, white, uh, we all want to simply follow Christ's call for our lives and to be a part of the unfolding redemptive plan of God, right? And I love this thought of the seat at the table because I think that speaks to uh, men who often find themselves in leadership positions, that one of the greatest ways we can serve uh, the, uh, the women that are part of church body is to hear their voice and to be able to encourage their obedience to Christ. Because as I read scripture, every one of us are going to have to be equal in our obedience to the Lord. Yeah. Women don't get an asterisk for that. Uh, no one else gets off. We all have to stand before Christ and be judged by our obedience. You know, I want to come back to you guys in some areas that are worthy of unpacking. But, John, I'll start with you. When you talked about the value of women in Scripture, let's not forget church history because we could look at uh, church history, how the gospel spread and what it did for women. Uh, that's an excellent source of encouragement, isn't it? Yes, I think that um, we are so used to reading Scripture that we forget how radical it was mm -hmm. in the environment uh, where Christianity began, began, which was the Greco-Roman world. Yeah. And so, you know, many historians have uh, talked about these things, but just, you know, a couple of things for us to, to, to see the difference. Uh, one is that the sex ratio in the first century Greco-Roman world was there were 131 uh, males for every 100 females. Mm -hmm. uh, just for comparison, wow. today in the world, there's 101 men for 100 women. Mm -hmm. And so when you look back at the first century in the Roman society, uh, what accounted for that disproportion, right, in the sex ratio? And it was tampering, tampering with human life. So as simple as 
when um, a couple was going to have a, a girl, many times they did not want the girl, and so they discarded them. There is a writing from, from the year one, uh, you know, the year one before Christ, so a year before he's born, where uh, this man, he's on travel, and he's writing to his wife who's pregnant, and so there's this writing where he says, I'm coming to you, I'm sending you money, if you give birth before I get there, if it's a boy, keep it, if it's a girl, discard it. Wow. And so, you know, there are also true in a lot of places around correct. the world even today. Exactly. And so, and then they were able to re reconstruct uh, 600 families from these inscriptions in the city of Delphi in Greece. And of those 600 families, only six of them raised more than one daughter. Yeah. So it just gives you the view, the low, low view of women that uh, that this the Roman uh, world had, and it was. It was legal to, to discard girls. It was morally acceptable, and it was widespread in all social classes. And so then along comes the Christian faith, talking about the value of women, all women, all, all humanity, and, uh, and speaking against infanticide and abortion. And it begins to turn uh, how, how women are seen so that historians, you know, Rodney Stark says that uh, women in the Christian subculture in the first centuries of the church enjoyed a far higher status yeah. than women in the, uh, their counterparts in the Greco-Roman world. Yeah. That's a beautiful thing. And, it's, and again, we can bring examples about widows and how they were treated, uh, the views of the, of, of, of the Christian faith when it came to divorce, when it came to um, polygamy, to incest, and, and just its condemnation of it, which women end up being the ones victimized by all these practices. And so it was a breath of fresh air as the, the, the wind of the Spirit is blowing throughout the Roman world with the message of Christ. Yeah, I love that. You know, I think about two things as you share. Uh, number one, I think about the fact that some of those evil practices, again, are still happening now. And this is why we have to embrace what R.C. Sproul used to say faithfully, and that is that ideas have consequences. When we don't get this conversation right, it does not only prevent women from having a seat at the table, it can ultimately cost lives. Yes. And um, this is why, as someone who's passionate about pro-life, I often will say that abortion to me is misogyny. I think that uh, disproportionately it targets women, but there's also a lot of cultural issues that we have to address. The other thing I just want to say is that so often the misnomer about the Christian faith is that it's sexist, right? To the outside uh, person, and maybe even some internal to Christianity would, would feel that way. And certainly there are areas that have to be corrected, abuses that have to be addressed. But by and large, the phenomenon you talked about in the Greco-Roman world is still being felt. Wherever Christianity is exported, education rights for women go up, employment opportunities for women go up, uh, opportunities to lead in freedom, those go up. And so we get a chance to hopefully tell that message. And right. so I'm grateful there's for a, you sharing that. There's a scholar at Yale, Stephen Carter, and he talks about how today uh, a lot of uh, secular people attack the Christian faith, not realizing that uh, the majority of people they're attacking when they attack the Christian faith is women of color throughout the world. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You know, Gina, I want to come back to you really quickly because so often when we have this conversation, uh, we uh, champion God's uh, high view of women, Jesus's high view and use of women, Paul affirming women. 
and uh, people will say, well, what about the passages about women needing to honor the men in their lives? And I don't think that those are in conflict with one another. Uh, talk about what um, uh, your encouragement is around that as you disciple women in honoring the men in their lives as they obey and live out their calling. Absolutely. I think that it's one of the, you know, I, I think of Ephesians, you know, uh, you know, wives honor, respect, and submit to your husbands. Yeah. And we tend to stop there, but we have to look at the path, the verse before and the verse after, yeah. right? Um, the verse after talks about, um, you know, husbands love your wives as yeah. Christ loved the church. Mm -hmm. uh, but then if we back up a little bit more, it's right before those two passages, it actually says, submit to one another yeah. out of reverence to Christ. So when I think of, of submission uh, or respecting, you know, my husband or the men in my life, uh, you know, whether it is actually then my, my sons are, they're not little kids anymore, you know, they're becoming men. Um, I think of how do I honor them in a way out of my honoring God. Yeah. It's, again, it goes, it goes back to separating our identity. We have to be intentional and it, it's hard to do. It's a very fine line, yeah. but we have to be intentional to separate our identity from roles, our identity, from whatever it is that God is asking us to do. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I wish that I could tell you that I uh, always, uh, that I never raise my voice at home You're or that, I, <laughs> that I'm not perfect. Join the club. <laughs> Join the club. <laughs> you know, I wish, I mean, Bay knows me. It's like, I wish, uh, I yeah. wish that, um, that I could say that and I wish that, you know, that Lindell, as, as wonderful of a man Your as husband. he is, my husband, yes, as wonderful of a man as he is, um, and as much as he wants to to love me the way that Christ uh, yeah. loved the church, the truth is we're both very human. Yeah. And um, But when we when we go back and we, we kind of submit to each other out of reverence to Christ, yeah. um, harmony happens. Yeah. Now, having said that, I, I just want to clarify, uh, my husband is the head of my house. Um, and I do, uh, I do respect that. Uh, I, I, you know, we have this joke back and forth. It's like, no, it's your turn to die to self. No, you die to self this time, you know. And, <laughs> and at the end, but at the end of the day, yeah. we have to go back to scripture. Yeah. And I was gonna say, you know, what's beautiful is when we're out, we're trying to out honor one another. You know, when yeah, when absolutely. when that is at the heart of a marriage. Man, a marriage works beautifully. Yeah. You that's know, a beautiful my, example to to single people as well. Is yeah. to yeah. see marriages where, and that's why I love. I go to the Royal Oak campus, and so I get to see John affirm Anna, and Anna affirm John, yeah. and it's a beautiful picture yeah. for us who are single to see god's love through that yeah i love the roll up campus by the way <laughs> but if you came to troy you'd see that with my wife and i <laughs> just joking every woodside campus is beautiful <laughs> but you know revey i would love to hear you talk about this though because you have um, had the privilege of being in leadership roles just about every stop of, along your journey. Yeah. And it's a lot having to do with the fact that you are gifted and dynamic. You've learned some lessons along the way. What are some of those lessons that you want to communicate both to women mm -hmm. who are called to, to lead as well as to the broader body of Christ about maybe some misunderstandings or misconstructions that we need to do away with? Yeah, I always say that it's not a one-sided issue. It's not that men need to learn something or that women need to do something different. It's we both have to sit down and learn together. And I think that's where true change happens. And when you start to learn about the gifts and abilities that 
those you are working with or you start to talk about frustrations or hurts and pains, that's where movement happens. Um, and that's one of the biggest things that I've learned is that you have to be one true to the calling that God has given you um, and you have to remember that you are God's. It goes back to what you said, it's whose you are. Um, you are not whatever church you work at, you are not the title or position that you are given. You are a child of God who has been called to ministry and that is what you have to be rooted in. You, you have to, it, it can be hard because sometimes those, you know, whether it's double standards or, or whatever come in and you struggle through that, yeah. you have to always take it back a step to remember that you're God's. You're not your senior pastors. You're not your churches. Yeah. You're God's. Yeah. I think it's also, when you talk about the double standard, it's also something important for the church to understand how easy we can, without thinking, accept some of those double standards. I think about the purity conversation, for example. So often when we talk about purity in male-female relationships, all of the onus is put on the woman. Uh, to watch the way she dresses or the way she talks or interacts. And certainly there's some responsibility for the woman, but there's also enormous responsibility for the man as well. And so it's important that we, uh, again, as you say, Gina, keep going back to the word as our guide, because when we do that, we can do away with some of these secular misconceptions that either give a kind of a, a false uh, feminism, which is which is dangerous, or a false misogyny. You know, I like to think of it this way. One commandment gives us a view of the Bible's um, uh, framework for male and female. It is children honor your mother and father. When you talk about a radical statement, it is either, it is neither feministic, putting women ahead of men, or misogynistic, putting men ahead of women, but honoring equally men and women who have different and distinct roles in God's redemptive plan, but equal value. You know, Revae, um, I would love for you to um, uh, maybe share a tip or some advice about how men and women can work together effectively, uh, because I think all the research I'm seeing, Revae, is that uh, teams that have gender diversity on it, teams that have both men and women speaking into them, are higher performing teams. Uh, they do better. And so uh, how within the church in particular, which is the area of your concern, what wisdom would you give on how we can work together effectively? Absolutely. Uh, I would say don't compartmentalize people's gifts based on what you think their gender role should be. Um, when we start compartmentalizing people's gifts, then we miss out on what they bring to the table. Yeah. Uh, a friend of mine gave the analogy one time that if you're driving by a cemetery, think of all the buried gifts and the idea of all the gifts that are, are buried in that cemetery that never got to use because maybe they were young yeah. or maybe they were of a socio-economical uh, class or maybe they were of a specific race or gender. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that translates into the business world, the secular world, as well as the church world, is to really hone in on the gifts of the human, of that person, not what role you should fall into. And in one of my ministry roles, uh, I had a co-leader with me who was a male. And we sat down after we got our job descriptions and we're talking through it. And I, I remember he looked at me and said, Reve, you're better at this than I am. Why don't you do it? And I said, you know what, you're better at this than I am. Why don't you do that? And then from there, you know, ministry grew. And, and so that's the best thing that we can do. That's the best place to start is to learn each other's gifts and leverage them and use them for God's purpose and God's glory. 
I love this conversation. You know, it's always hard to end these discussions because they are so critical. But we're gonna continue these conversations. Uh, part of what I wanna make sure we're doing as the church is having critical conversations through a Christian worldview perspective. And so thank you guys uh, for joining me. I'm gonna ask Pastor John if he could pray uh, for us uh, as we wrap up this discussion. Heavenly Father, we love you. We give you thanks for your revelation of yourself to us, uh, your creation and your people. Lord, we would be so lost without the guidance of your word. It is a light to our path. And so, Father, I thank you for, uh, for this conversation, Father. It is such an important topic for us to, to come to understand better how to appreciate all of your creation, how to appreciate uh, male as well as female, as those who give us a full picture of who you are, God. And so, Lord, um, I pray that you would use it in a powerful way to stimulate conversation in the homes among uh, married couples, among single friends. And I pray, Father, that you would teach us as uh, a church family to honor you in greater ways by affirming the value of women, by empowering them and deploying them to, uh, to, to function in the gifts that you have given them, Lord. I also pray that both men and women would live sexually pure lives uh, because we know that pornography and casual sex dehumanize men and women, but oftentimes women bear deeper scars. And so, Father, uh, help us. Help us be holy as you are holy. Thank you for everyone here, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, my friends, I hope that you really enjoyed this conversation as much as we did. I can't say thank you enough to Gina, Revae, and John for joining us. I just want to speak to the Woodside family, two groups in particular. First, to the women who are part of our church. I want you to know that your church loves you and sees you as absolutely vital and essential to God's plan for our ministry and for his redemptive work in the world. I want you to know that your pastors are committed to encouraging and empowering the gifts that God has equipped you with. To all the men that are watching, I just want to say thank you for your commitment to empowering God's women to not only be fully faithful to their calling, uh, but to live out their value and worth uh, within the local church. I'm grateful to be a part of a church family that values women as much as scripture does. Uh, to those of you who may not be Woodside family, we would love for you to come and join in worship with us. We believe that you will find this to be a place that honors God and loves people well. Now, each one of us have thought through resources that we think will help you to go deeper in this uh, discussion that we would love for you to read. So in the postscript, you'll see a list of resources. Please research those resources read them and let them start you on a journey to understanding how God has uniquely and powerfully designed women for his purpose and calling. Well, folks, thank you for joining us for another edition of The Link, and I can't wait to see you next time.